Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I'm sure that many of you know this by now, but I was a very healthy person for a lot of my life. And then kind of looking back, it feels like one day I got sick and I got so sick. One moment that I really remember is I I was in London with three wonderful friends and I had to run out of the restaurant to start throwing up. And then I had to go home because I was too faint to keep myself upright. And my friend met me back at the hotel we were staying at. And I was like, I'm so sorry. What did you guys say about me when I ran out? And she said, oh, Stephanie, one of our friends said, what are we going to do for her? And I thought that they were like, "Ugh, Vanessa, so dramatic, so disgusting. Can't believe she left. And instead, when I was away from that table, what they were doing was expressing real concern And eventually I got diagnosed as having endometriosis and had two surgeries and I'm on proper medication now. And yet, like, there's still days that I'm sick. And it's just so frustrating to have to walk through the world sick and cancel on people and cancel meetings and not be able to exercise in the way that I thought I was going to be able to that day. And that's what we're going to talk about with Fran today. Fran is a wonderful person who is trying to figure out how to be sick in this world. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Should I Quit? Hi, Fran. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. Okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself. How do you spend most of your days? I am a PhD student. I do my PhD part-time. And so most of my 
waking life really is spent thinking about my PhD. As most people that do a PhD will know, (laughs) when you are doing a PhD, it kind of just lives in your brain. Um, I have a little dog, so I'm often sort of out wandering the streets with the dog. But other than that, I live a fairly sort of quiet life because of my limitations of my illness. So I don't actually do a lot. Well, that is my understanding of part of why you're here today is your illness. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? What is it that brought you to our little podcast? So I was ill about mm, nearly two years ago now. I got a virus, uh, as you do in the wintertime. It wasn't COVID. I got tested, not COVID, but it was a sort of a, a fluey bug. That sort of sort of respiratory, nasty cough, felt really ill, took a couple of weeks off work, thought I was going to get better and basically didn't. So I sort of started to improve from that illness. And then about four weeks later, I was ill again. I took some more time off work and I've just never gotten better from that initial illness. So the symptoms of the flu, sort of the cough and the bunged upness all went away, but the actual energy never came back. And I had appointments with the doctors, got sent to various specialists, and eventually I've been diagnosed with, in the UK, it's called chronic fatigue syndrome. And I think in the US, it's often referred to as ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis, I think is how it's pronounced. I think most people think of it as chronic fatigue here too. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's the, the two terms are used interchangeably, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But up until the point that I got ill, I was incredibly active. I was training for a triathlon at the time. I used to run ultramarathons. Like my entire social life revolved around sort of going to swim club, going to the running club, going out cycling on a weekend. And then I got ill and suddenly all of that stopped, which is really why I'm here today, because I want to talk about whether or not I should be trying to get better. That's my question really is, I'm very different now to how I was two years ago, but I still have this image in my head of who I used to be. And is it still serving me now to be trying to get back to who I used to be, to be trying to regain that identity that I used to have? Or should I let that identity go? Should I give up that identity and instead work on accepting what I am able to do now? Because I am still able to do some things and work on, you know, who I am now and who I am going forwards rather than spending all of my time thinking about this is who I used to be. Your question is very important. We just need to take a minute to talk about that sucks. Yeah, pretty much does. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I'm 18 months down the road now. I've got a diagnosis now. That was part of the problem at the beginning was not knowing what was wrong. But now I've got a diagnosis that kind of helped a bit. And, And I have sort of come to terms with it a little bit. And I'm not quite as mad as I was at the beginning. Like at the beginning, I was quite angry and um, a bit anxious about wanting to get better. Maybe not depressed because that's a quite strong word, but I was sad. You know, I was sad that I'd lost all these things. I kind of come into terms with that, but yeah, it still sucks. I don't know. It sounds like you were 38 years old and you sort of knew how to live your life in a way that was making you happy and fulfilled. Yeah. You were pursuing a PhD. I happen to know that you're a hobbyist saxophonist. You had a social life that involved training and exercise and being fit in that way, million ways to be fit, but like being fit in that way. You had like a functioning adult, early middle age life. And then you just like got a virus by being alive in the world and it changed everything. 
It's almost like a horror movie. <laughs> it sounds really dramatic now you put it like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose I had kind of worked out how to be an adult. You know, I'm, I'm also married. Yeah. You know, we've got a life together. We live in a lovely place in the world. We've got a group of friends. Yeah, I had my life pretty much figured out, I think. You know. Right. I mean, like as much as any of us ever feel that. Yeah. (laughs) I think that you're asking the exact right and like very wise question for 18 months out from being sick, a few months out from being diagnosed. Like this is the question. Like what do you do with this diagnosis information? You've gotten a new piece of data, right? And like it's time to process this new piece of data. And, you know, sometimes one piece of data can totally change all the other inputs. And so – I think that this is right. I'm wondering if you can tell us, you know, you've sort of presented us with two options. One is looking at the next 40, 50 years of your life and being like, do I sort of take this as moment zero and like totally start off a new way of being now that I'm someone with chronic fatigue syndrome? Or do I look at the next 50 years of my life as trying to get back to the person I was before I got sick? Is that right? Am I understanding correctly? Fix fix what I said. Yeah, no, that, that sounds right. But I think with chronic fatigue syndrome, a lot of people don't get better, but some people do. And nobody knows who's going to get better and who isn't. So there is this bit of hope that I could get better. So if I could get better, then I could be working towards being that active person. But there's a chance that I might not get better because a lot of people don't. Or I might improve a little bit and then stay at that level, or I might get worse. So fun. So there is a little bit of hope that I could get better. And if there is some hope, should I hang on to that hope? Or should I just let that go and let whatever it is be? Whatever will be, will be. Whatever happens, whether I get worse, get better, I have to deal with it as it is, rather than hanging all my hopes on being one of those person who recovers. So what how would these two mindsets or approaches look on a day-to-day level? Mindset one of like, I'm hanging on to this hope. I'm going to go back to triathlon, Fran. What does that look like next Wednesday? Well, I have kind of tried that in the last six months or so. So there's a lady who I worked with who's a triathlon coach. And she's also worked with some people who've had post-viral fatigue and those sorts of things and coached them back to competition level triathlon. So I got in touch with her and we did work together for about three months on some very gentle trying to trying to reintroduce some sort of movement, you know, a bit of yoga, a little bit of walking with the dog, just to try and start that process of moving again. And It was great to start off with. I felt like, yes, I'm doing this. I'm doing something. I'm being proactive. I am managing my illness. I am, you know, helping myself to recover. But what I found was that after a couple of months, even though I thought I was doing the bare minimum, it was still too much for my body to cope with. And I I got ill again for a couple of weeks. And and so I have tried that. And I think in my head, that's what I want. I'm a very proactive person. I like to plan things. Yeah. yeah, I like to plan things. I like. I mean, I'm doing a PhD as well, so that's kind of a long-term project. So I like having long-term projects to work on. So that's sort of appealing to me, this long-term project of my recovery. If I do X followed by Y followed by Z, then, you know, hopefully I'll recover. 
but I know life doesn't always work like that. So it sounds like you tried option one and it didn't work. Is there another version of option one that you're like, maybe that one would work and I could try that? Yeah, it's trying it again in a couple of months time. (laughs) It's it's in my head that, you know, maybe maybe if I allow my body a bit more time to recover, then, Mm -hmm. or if I go even more slowly, as slow as I was going, maybe if I just slow down that progress even more, then I'll be able to recover. So I think, yeah, I don't think I've got any other options really in my head other than trying the same sort of thing, but like a little bit less of it. So instead of doing, Mm -hmm. trying to do 15 minutes of yoga three times a week, I try and do 10 minutes of yoga twice a week, you know, just Mm -hmm. sort of stepping it down a little bit. Yeah, I don't have any other grand plans than that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what would option two look like? This, okay, this is my life now. Let's go. I think option two is what I've been trying over the last couple of months since I stopped doing this little bit of exercise because I I thought to myself, well, I've got to have some other sort of hobby interest to be engaged with. So I'm not just always thinking about, oh, I'd like to be doing these things that I can't do. So I've gotten really into jigsaw puzzling, which <laughs> which is bizarre because I am not well known for my patience. I am not well known for my ability to sit still mm-hmm. and concentrate on something fiddly like jigsaw puzzles. But actually, mm-hmm. I've kind of gotten into it and it sounds really sad, but I'm really enjoying that. So, Oh, my partner and 10-year-old will sit all day and puzzle. Yeah, there's something really satisfying about fitting those pieces and especially when you've got the thing finished and you're like, you can see what you completed. So I think that second option is is finding ways of enjoying my life within the limits that I have. So, you know, I am still able to get out of the house. I, I am able to walk short distances. So, you know, I'll go out for the day with my wife, you know, we'll drive somewhere nice and we'll go for a little walk. I mean, maybe not at the moment, it's a bit cold, but in the summer we did anyway, you know, we'd go drive somewhere, take a picnic, sit on a bench to just be able to go out and do things like that and be be grateful for those small things I still can do rather than yearning for the things that I can't. Is there a version, you know you, I don't know you. Is there a version where you do both? Where you're like, I'm a jigsaw puzzler and I'm going to start drawing or, you know, playing darts. I don't know. And I have this coach and one day a week we work on my, like this other path, but it's just sort of a practice or would that sort of muddle things and not feel satisfying to you? Yeah, I I guess it's kind of hard to do the trying to get back to where I was without that creeping into my head that I want to get back to running long distances and cycling long distances and competing. And so it's really hard for me to do just a little bit of that. It's really hard for me to... Totally. It would be yeah. for me too. Yeah. It's, re- it's really hard to do just a small amount and not go all in on it because I, I always used to be, you know, an all in kind of person to have a training plan. I would be out six days a week, you know, I'd also be doing a stretching regime and, you know, I'd be all in on it. And it's really hard for that mentality not to creep back in if I'm just doing 10 minutes of yoga. And I start thinking, oh, I could do 15 minutes of yoga next week, you know, (laughs) and it just... Maybe I can do 11. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I know. I'm the same way. I just have one more question. 
Is there a medical reason for you to be trying to change your mindset to be doing yoga twice a week for 10 minutes? What do you mean by a medical reason? Has a doctor said to you, like, that will eventually help in some way, right? Like, as someone with chronic depression, doctors say to you, exercise helps even when you don't feel like exercising. You know, and a doctor will say, like, when you can't, you can't. But as soon as you can, try to walk 15 minutes. I don't know anything about chronic fatigue. So is that, in theory, part of a health routine? That is a really good question because the guidelines have recently changed. So it used to be, there used to be a treatment called graded exercise therapy uh, for people with ME and mm-hmm. CFS. The basis of which was that you you kept moving. You don't just stop. You don't just lay in bed. If you can move, you move and you gradually do more and more and more. And that was the sort of accepted treatment. But it has since, well, it's been very controversial there have been studies yep. about it and the studies seem to show that it worked. But since then, people have challenged graded exercise therapy and the studies that had shown that it worked. So there is, it's been retracted, basically. So the guidelines in the UK that dictate what doctors can prescribe for certain illnesses, they used to say graded exercise therapy, but now they don't. They specifically say you should not prescribe this. So the accepted treatment now, it's called pacing. So basically it's working out what is your baseline, what can you do without exacerbating your symptoms, and then can you very gradually increase that? So instead of focusing on exercise, it's focusing on your sort of everyday life. Can you do the washing up? Can you shower and go to work? You know, rather than focusing on you should be walking half a mile every day and even when you don't feel like it, you should go. It's more about what's your baseline, what can you manage? Stay within that baseline and then very gradually across, holistically across your life, expand what you can do. So yeah, it's it's quite controversial. Yeah, that's so helpful. And so if you were to do this like version two, let me just live my new life, would pacing be part of that? Or does pacing feel more like option one, trying to go back to your old life? So I think the pacing seems more like option two. To me, the pacing seems like staying within my parameters. I know what I can manage. I know I can manage X number of hours of work each day at the computer. I can manage cooking my dinner, but I can't manage doing that and going out to see a friend. You know, I know what my limits are. Um, And so option two is sort of accepting those limits and then staying within them. Whereas option one is more knowing what those limits are and pushing those boundaries little by little to try and increase what I can do. Sure. Okay. So I think it sounds like you've already quit option one and that you're sad about it and therefore don't quite want to say that you're an option two yet. I think that's quite perceptive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think I'm probably coming to the conclusion that I have my limits and I know what those limits are and I know the consequences of doing things outside of them. So a couple of weeks ago, I saw a friend and I ended up staying longer than I had planned to by about half an hour. And, you know, for the next couple of days, I was quite ill. So I know what the consequences are of going outside of those limits. I just I just want them to be bigger. I want yeah. to be able to do more. <laughs> so we're fully in this like 
I need to just embrace this. Like, these are the limits. I need to tell these limits to my friends so that they hold me accountable, right? I need to show up at a friend's house and say, I need to leave by two o'clock and at 1.59, I want you to get me my coat. You're so charming that I will want to stay longer and then I will be sick for three days. Yeah. So like, get me my coat at 1.59. It sounds like you know that that is what you actually have to do. Yeah, I, it's just hard. <laughs> it's really It's just it's hard. So tell me what's what's hard about it. It's hard accepting it myself. And yeah. it's also hard when it comes to interacting with other people. So I want to see my friends. I want to go out. Of but I, I mean, my friends are great. They do understand. I got some very lovely friends who are very understanding. But I still feel really bad when I say, oh, no, I can't see you this week because I had to go to a doctor's appointment. So I don't have enough energy left to see you. Right. You know, or I cancel something at the last minute because I planned to go see them, but it got to that day and I was just too tired. And I, I find that really difficult that managing my relationships with other people because my friends know that I still want to see them. Right. They know that when I'm feeling well enough, I will see them. But it, I still feel rubbish when I have to let people down or say no. Or Yeah. In a way, I feel like I'm letting my family and friends down by not getting better. Does that sound weird? Like, no. like I should be getting better and my, my family, my friends really want me to. So why can't I? Why can't I give that to my family? You know, my mum and dad, they, they'll ask how I'm feeling and I'm always like, oh, same. And I feel really bad because I want to be able to say I feel better, but I don't. So that side of things is really hard. Is the relational part of it what you would isolate is the hardest part of it? Yeah, I think if I just was me in a little bubble doing my own thing, it would be a lot easier because I want relationships with people. You know, I want to see my friends, and my family. I want to go out and engage with life and the world. And not being able to do that freely is really hard, having to ration myself. So I sort of budget my time. And, you know, if I've seen one friend this week for half an hour, then next week it's a different friend's turn. Or But then what if it's someone else's birthday or... What if I have to go to the doctors or take the dog to the vet or, you know, there's other things that come up that take away from that time that if I was well, wouldn't matter. You know, you just fit right. things in, don't you? So, yeah, yeah it's, I find that really hard. I would imagine you used to feel sort of like an abundant resource and then it's like you're taking it away from people. You're like, never mind. Now I'm a scarce resource yeah. and it's not you. It's me. And it's not even me. It's this illness. Yeah, it's really difficult maintaining those relationships when you're so limited in the amount of energy that you have to put into them. Because it's not fair on, I, well, I feel it's not fair on people. You know, these are my friends. They're, they're relationships that should be nourished. You know, my friends and my family, before I got ill, I never really thought about how much time I spent with people or should I phone X or should I phone Y or it was never an issue. You just went out and saw people and, oh, I'll catch you up for lunch or we'll go for a coffee. And now that has to be sort of budgeted and planned and sometimes doesn't even happen because I feel worse that day than I thought I was going to. I wonder if a project over the next year can be thinking about what your new social life looks like and somehow expressing that to all the people you love. Mm. Like, 
sending a letter to the 12 people in your life who you feel like need this information, like your parents and your close friends being like, please don't ask me how I'm feeling. Mm. (laughs) Like, I'm feeling like this all the time. And like, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, please just accept it. And this is my new calendar. And it's half an hour a week for a friend. And sometimes not. And like, a minute does not represent like a love particle. Like those two things have nothing to do with one another. Just taking time to figure out what this new you looks like and communicating it to people. Because I feel like clarity can just help, right? It sounds like you're afraid you're disappointing people. And the you don't disappoint people if they have the right expectations, That's very true, but I'm British, so we don't talk about things. (laughs) Got it. Okay, well then. Because as you were talking about writing a letter to people, I was like, no, 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 no. No, okay. I'm so sorry. I forgot about cultural differences. (laughs) It might not be Britishness, but it might just be meanness. But I don't know. No, 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 no. I understand. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, is it, can you do that for yourself though? Be like self-expectations? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right, like a budget. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because I kind of, I do that with my work. So with my PhD, I work from home. I don't have to go anywhere. I can just sit at my desk and compute. And I, I budget myself a certain number of hours a week. Sometimes I don't do that many because other things come up, but I kind of have a number in my head. I know that eight to 10 hours a week is a regular number of hours that I can work. And I don't have a certain time of day that I do those hours. I kind of, I tick them off as I go through the week because I know that if other things come up, like last week I had to take the dog to the dog groomers. So that took a bunch of energy. So that day I didn't get any work done. So, you know, I move things around. So maybe something like that for other areas of my life, not just the sort of sitting at the laptop working, but yeah, budgeting for, but that sounds really calculating, sort of budgeting for my friendships. My relationship budget this week is half an hour <laughs> and it's going to, drum roll. <laughs> I mean, so maybe budget is the wrong word, right? Like you have a certain, it's like health energy. It's like um, a video game. Yeah. Like you have a certain number of life points, energy points. Mm. And it's like, I want to hand you as a gift, this energy point. But that means I don't have another gift until next week to give. So Sally will get the energy point gift next week. It's just hard to have to do that. To It's the worst to have to do that. To have to decide who do I spend my energy on. I mean, obviously, you know, the closest relationships I have, I've got my wife, my closest friends, my my parents. Uh, you know, who? how do you decide who gets the point that week (laughs) it's it's really difficult it's the worst but I guess it's something I just have to accept that this is who I am this is what I've got this is what my life looks like and I want to enjoy my life that's the thing I don't want to spend my whole time worrying about what I can't do I want to enjoy what I can do yeah I mean I definitely think you have to quit trying to go back to anything you you now are this person you are now a person with chronic fatigue syndrome and like You know, something that's one of the wisest things I've ever heard. I took a class called Journey and Myth with Professor Stephanie Paulsell, 
like, you know, the idea of the hero's journey, right? That like you go out, there's a quest that you get sent on. And then there's the dark despair of like, what is this? And then you're on your way back home, but there's a final stop and then you're back home, right? And it sounds like getting sick and like being undiagnosed was you in that like moment of despair. And then you know, a couple of months ago, you got diagnosed and now you're like figuring out what this is. And what Stephanie said is that actually coming back home, which she calls reintegration, is the hardest part of any hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Because while you've been out on the journey, you've changed and you're coming home changed and you look the same and your world is the same and other people haven't changed. And so you have to figure out how are you going to tell them that you're changed? How much are you going to try to stay changed or go back to who you were? How much are you going to like constantly repeat to them? No, 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 no. I'm changed. And I need you to now see me as I am now. And in many places of our lives, this is a lifetime project, right? We go back home for Christmas And everyone is treating us like we're 12. And we're like, no, no, no. 40-year-old Vanessa is different. Please treat me like 40-year-old Vanessa. I love thinking about reintegration as the hardest part, that it's not actually the despair. It's the coming back home that's hard. And that's where it feels like you are right now. Yeah. And it's really interesting what you said about you look the same. Because I don't look ill. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, when people see me, when I've gone to see a friend, I have enough energy to see that friend. That's why I'm seeing that friend. So I look kind of just like me. Yeah. So I don't look ill. I don't sound ill. So people don't treat me as though I'm ill. And I think that's why sometimes I feel like I have to keep saying, but I'm ill. I have CFS. I'm not well. Because people, when they see me, they don't see me as an ill person because they only ever see me while I'm well enough to be seen. Totally. They don't see the bit where I, I get back home and I have to go to bed for two hours because I've been out for an hour and a half, you know. They don't see that bit. Yeah, that that's that sort of rung true with me, that, that sort of reintegration, that I'm still figuring that out. I haven't figured out how to integrate those things of who I used to be and who I still kind of see myself as. I kind of in my right. head still see myself as a very active person, even though I can't be. So I kind of need to integrate that with how the people see me and how I am now and how I want to be going forward. And I just quite haven't worked out how to put all that together yet. But I will. I'm sure I will. You will. And something, Fran, that you said earlier is that you're afraid of disappointing people. And I just want to say that, like, one of my favorite people in the world cancels on me all the time. Like she has, she has a chronic illness and she cancels. And whenever she does, I genuinely am like, I'm so proud of you for taking care of yourself. Can I bring you something? Like it makes me happy to know that I can take care of her by letting her cancel. So I just want to say that like you're not, I don't think you are disappointing people. I know. And I know that my friends and my family, none of them would say that I'm letting them down. I mean, I... Some of my friends also have chronic illnesses. Other friends don't. I mean, I have some friends. I have lots of different friends. And I'm sure that none of them would say that they feel disappointed in me in any way. They're my friends. They love me. I love them. 
we accept each other's differences and difficulties. And so I'm sure none of them would say I was disappointing them. It's That's definitely me that says that, not them. It's just that thing inside of me that wants to be a really good person and a, and a reliable friend. And I'm sure th- they would all say that I was anyway. So This is also like a really insidious, and I really do think like capitalist and white supremacist idea of perfectionism, mm. that like, unless you're perfect, you are disappointing everybody. And that is a colonialist notion that was set up to pretend that a certain class and type of person was perfect and that everybody else was indebted to them and had less because they deserved to have less. And so by loving yourself as you are, you were like part of a decolonizing project. Like truly, I think that. I know it sounds dramatic, but like the world is set up for you to think that about yourself. And it's not true. It's a tool of oppression. I know I know what you're saying is I feel like unless you're a productive member of society, you have right. a full-time job and a family and you also volunteer somewhere or, I don't know, you earn lots of money and, and contribute to the economy. If you don't do all of those things, then you are somehow lesser or not worth as much or... And I think that's one of the things about being ill and why I want to get back to how I was is because I felt productive. I felt useful. I felt integrated into society, whereas now I feel like lesser, quieter, smaller. And I know that's not necessarily about me. That's about society and how society sees ill people. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is society, not you. Yeah. Well... This must have been an exhausting thing for you. And I'm so grateful that you used some of your like energy points on us. I'm very grateful. And I think that this is going to be a gift for a lot of people. You like this are such a gift. And I just want you to have all the self-compassion in the world as you navigate this reintegration process. Well, thank you for letting me wallow a little bit <laughs> and, <It wasn't> wallowing. <laughs> and talk about yeah all the things that I find difficult it's it's really helpful to talk about this and hopefully it'll help some other people as well so thanks for having me I think it will I think it really will okay go rest up thank you very much you've been listening to should I quit our latest season of the real question 99% of our show is funded through our patreon at patreon.com slash real question pod If you're a regular listener, we'd love your support. Another way that you can support this show is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and Twitter at The Real Q Pod. We have to shout out our BFF tier patrons, Molly Real, Laura Lorber, Kristen Hall, Mary Margaret, Becky Boo, Jenny Cruz, Samantha Schramm, Effie Hugh, Stephanie Federwish, Biddy, and Ari. We are executive produced and mixed by Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. A deep, deep thanks to Fran for joining us today. And thanks, as always, to our wonderful team. Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, AJ Uramas, Hannah Rehack, Margaret H. Wilson, Courtney Brown, Casper Trakyle, and Stephanie Paulsell, who I brought up a lot this week. <laughs> thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.